0: Oh Vasudeva Sutam Devam Kamsa Chanuram Ardhanam Devaki Paramanandam Krishnam Vande Jagat Gurum so We are studying the Bhagavad Gita. We are on Chapter 5, which is called Sanyasa Yoga, the Yoga of Sanyasa Renunciation. And uh, Arjuna asked a question that you have taught me renunciation of action and the performance of action, which is good, which is better, which one will lead me to the highest goal, that is moksha, um, enlightenment and freedom. Tell me one with certainty. Now, we saw last time in the discussion of this question that this question can be interpreted in uh, two ways. In one way, it does not make much sense because if, if you were talking about the performance of karma yoga or, the, or jnana yoga, uh, doing your action uh, without uh, selfish motive, doing duty for duty's sake or as, as worship of God uh, for the purification of the mind and um, jnana yoga for getting knowledge, for getting enlightenment. Well, then both are necessary. There's no option there. One has to purify oneself and make, one, make the mind ready for enlightenment. And for enlightenment, one has to pursue this Vedantic inquiry. So in that sense, there is no choice. But there is a choice in the in the sense of what kind of life should I lead to achieve enlightenment? I want enlightenment. I want God realization. I want the final freedom. But before me, there are different approaches. We have been told that One can attain it while remaining um, a householder in the midst of action, in the midst of worldly relationships, and yet become enlightened. Or one can leave all of that and become an all-renouncing monk completely dedicated to Vedantic inquiry and meditation and um, without any relationships with the world. No possessions, no relationships, no obligations or duties. That is also possible. So which one? These two are possible. And last time we discussed some religions which stress, maybe overstress monasticism. Um, early Buddhism was very monastic, though Mahayana is much more uh, uh, balanced. But the early um, Theravada Buddhism was very monastic. Uh, Jainism is very monastic. Um, there are religions which do not stress monasticism at all or completely forbid it. So, for example, uh, in uh, Islam or in Judaism, they have ascetic traditions but not monastic traditions as such. Uh, even Sikhism. So Sikhs have great respect for monks. I've seen that in the Himalayas. So Sikhs come and you know there's, they have a bandara, uh, they feed the monks and have very great respect. And these are there Hindu monks, Vedantic monks. Uh, but the Sikhs themselves do not advocate uh, renunciation and uh, monastic life. So it's very interesting. Um, and there are religions like, say, uh, Christianity, Catholic Christianity, and uh, Hinduism, which have strong monastic traditions, and yet uh, they do not stress it or overstress the monastic aspect of it. So all this, all these, so in the Hinduism, the, both of these options are open. One may, one may um, remain as a householder and become enlightened. One may actually, um, one can become a monk from the very beginning, from the um, brahmacharya stage itself. So, like we, we become monks in the Ramakrishna Order. We uh, become monks at the very beginning of our uh, lives, you know, before getting into the uh, householder life. Or what was traditionally prescribed that at one point, one may go beyond householder life and become a monk, uh, become a sannyasi. I've known such people. And they are uh, householders and then they retired from the jobs. The children grew up and went away. And then maybe the person, usually men I have met who had no more obligations. Uh, maybe the wife had died and, uh, or the children were no longer in touch. And this person decides, I want to become a monk formally. And that has also happened. Uh, I've seen that, a lot of that. So which of them? So what do I do? Uh, Arjuna is asking. So we shall see Sri Krishna's answer. Verse number 2. Sri Bhagavan Vacha Sanyasa Karma Yogascha Nishresa Karau Bhau Tayostu Karma Sanyasat Karma Yoga Vishisya The Blessed Lord said, renunciation and performance of selfless action both lead to liberation. But of the two, the performance of selfless action is superior to the renunciation of action. So the words used here are sannyasa and karma yoga. Sanyasa and karma yoga both will lead you to moksha. Here, just, um, you know this, but I'm still putting it out there so that you uh, are aware of it. I'm giving these interpretations based on uh, Shankaracharya's interpretation. It's an Advaitic interpretation I'm giving. Because if you take up uh, other interpretations, these words, same words, will be interpreted in different ways. So, for example, in this verse, I will say, according to the Advaitic interpretation, sannyasa and karma yoga both lead to moksha. Now, what sannyasa means here is one gives up worldly possessions and relationships and formally assumes. You know the ochre robe, the vows of sannyasa, and gives up um, secular and worldly religious duties also. And then one becomes a monk and uh, has no possessions, no uh, no obligations, no relationships, and is one is dedicated entirely to Vedantic inquiry. So the bulk of the time and energy is spent in what? In Shravana, manana and nididhyasana. And even here in monasticism, there are two kinds of monks. Uh, one is called uh, Vidvat Sannyasa, another one is called Vividisha Sannyasa. The Vidvat Sannyasa is the renunciation of the enlightened. A person who has already become enlightened before taking to formal monasticism has already realized I am Brahman. Now may decide to become a monk formally because that seems to that person to be the best expression of that person's enlightenment. That kind of lifestyle is most suited. So one may become a monk, but that person has not become a monk in order to become enlightened, is already free, is a Jivan Mukta and feels that being a monk is the easiest way to express enlightenment, to live the life of a Jivan Mukta. Um, The other kind of monk, most of us are in the second kind. The second kind is Vividisha Sanyasa. Vividisha means desire to know, the desire to become enlightened. We have come into monastic life in order with a desire to become enlightened, with a desire to get Brahma Jnana, the knowledge of Brahman. So Vividisha Sanya, so we are not enlightened yet. And we need all spiritual practices, including karma yoga. So we have a whole set of spiritual practices which are prescribed, and such monks, but they are monks, they are formally monks and they do not have worldly responsibilities so that's one group and they will practice shravana manana nididhyasana plus some kind of upasana will be given uh, in our ramakrishna order we continue the practice of ishta devata and ishta mantra among traditional vedantic monks they may not do that they may they may up to becoming a monk they may repeat the gayatri mantra after becoming a monk they give up the gayatri mantra they may repeat om just om itself uh, that's a that's a kind of meditation and there'll be karma yoga um, they'll have to work for the ashram or ta- you know serve the guru or do some kind of karma yoga um, the usual se- uh, rituals of the hindu grihastha are not meant for monks whereas and, and therefore they and in this way they will attain enlightenment hopefully Whereas those who are in worldly life, in, in uh, Grihastha Ashram, if they want to become enlightened, he says karma yoga. They will perform karma yoga. Now all the work that they do, all the duties they perform at home, in the community, or in their careers, now mentally the attitude changes. Earlier, why were they doing it? Dharma Artha Kama. Kama for attainment of pleasure. Artha for attainment of success and power and you know, wealth and dharma. Uh, the basis of on the basis of morality and ethics, they would pursue these worldly goals. That was the life of a householder. And they would also perform religious duties so that they accumulate merit. After death, they go to heaven. Swarga But they'll come back again. So this once the person decides this is not for me, I want the highest God realization. But remaining in worldly life then that person takes to Karma Yoga. All those things are performed now, but as a worship of God. And then here is the Advaitic interpretation, It's addition, which is not clear in the verse itself. Will that person, by performing Karma Yoga, attain to enlightenment? Advaita Vedanta would say, no, no, no. With, by performance of Karma Yoga, purification of mind will be there. And they need to undergo um. Shravana, Manana, nididhyasana the full course of Jnana Yoga. Listen, they have to come to the Gita class, basically, to put it very simply. Uh, you have to do your duties in the world and, you know, family. But as Karma Yoga and come to the class and, uh, you know, do self inquiry meditate on it till one gets enlightenment. And that's possible in householder life too, he says. so This is the meaning of the first line. Nishreyesha, nishreyesha means the highest welfare. Um, so, Nishresha is highest welfare. Um, in fact, in the introduction to the Bhagavad Gita, Shankaracharya says, hi vedokta dharma, pravritti lakshana nivritti lakshanascha. The Vedic religion has two aspects. It's a beautiful uh, description of what religion is. What is religion after all? So Shankaracharya says the Vedic religion has two aspects. Pravritti Lakshana and Nivritti Lakshana. Pravritti and Nivritti. So Vivekananda has used these terms again and again. Pravritti literally means circling outwards, going out into the world. Action, literally it means action. Nivritti means withdrawal, the inward journey, the spiritual journey. What are the purposes of these two? Pravritti is Abhyudaya. Abhyudaya means welfare, uh, prosperity, growth, development. So the whole course of human development, personal and uh, civilizational, all that is covered under Abhyudaya. And religion is helpful there. Religion is meant for that. It it gives you morals and ethics. You have the blessings of God for the spiritual journey. All of these things are necessary for a family life, for your personal life, family life, and the and civilizational life. Uh, so for the growth of, uh, for prosperity growth, for your own self-development to become a better pers- person, a bigger person, you know, to have full play to your talents, achieve things in the world, you know, in the field of whether it's business or education or art or science, wherever. All sorts of growth and development, uh, betterment, human betterment, That is called Abhyudaya. And that is the purpose of religion. You might say that one might do that without religion also. Truly, especially in today's world, we are more secular than it has ever been in known history. Our modern uh, civilization, especially in the advanced countries, is more secular, less religious, than it has ever been in the history, known history of humanity. So we are pursuing secular goals of human development without religion. But religion has a role to play. It has a psychological role to play, for, good for our psychological health. It, is, um, it gives us ethics and morals and so on. So there's a big debate now. Can you have an ethical society, a moral society, without religion, without any kind of religion? Um, there are, um, there's reasoning on both sides. I remember I had an interesting discussion in the monastery. You know, often discuss that India is such a religious country, so much corruption and so many problems in society. And uh, I remember the first time I visited, I went outside India, I saw Singapore and I went to Australia. Both are very high functioning states. You know, if you always see the top 10 in living standards, Australia, New Zealand will always be there in the top 10. Um, very little corruption, very advanced in terms of technology, very prosperous, uh, very little poverty. So I asked. And in both cases I saw very little religion. So, Religion has become less and less important over, over time. So you have a high functioning civil society without religion. Now what does this mean? One monk said that oh, this is just a recent phenomenon. You have to give it time. Give it 100 years, 200 years with a completely uh, secular, non-religious society and see what the effect is. Right now you have centuries of you know everybody who was more or less australian until last you know like until the 60s or 70s they were all christians they had centuries of um, christian tradition behind them the whole civilization was a uh, christian civilization in singapore you have uh, buddhism and confucianism and christianity and hinduism um, so the effect of all of these is 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 still very much there you can't say that it is a completely religion-less society. On the other hand, um, one gentleman in Australia said religion has been declining over the last 20, 30 years um, until um, 1960s, 70s. Religion was pretty strong. People went to church and it was pretty religious, also pretty corrupt, pretty racist. and And now he says people have lost interest in religion, all sorts of religion. And um, pretty prosperous, pretty, you know, one of the least corrupt countries in the world. So what do you say that religion is not necessary for ethics and morals? I don't know the answer really. I mean, if you have a completely secular society, which is also very moral and ethical, that, that would be interesting. Um, yeah. But anyway, Shankaracharya says one of the purposes of religion is abhyudaya personal and societal development. Religion helps and the blessings of God are necessary. And uh, also remember, in the Vedic um, idea, it was not just in this life. You also want a very good life after this. So you go to heaven and after that, a better birth, um, better placement next time. Uh, So all of that is given by Pravritti Lakshana, the the part of religion which is um, concerned with the Vedic karma khanda, the ritualistic portion of the Vedas. That's a kind of conventional religion. And then Shankaracharya says another part of religion is nivritti lakshana, the uh, religion which is circling inwards, which is the inward spiritual journey. What is the goal there? What is the goal in the first one? Development, prosperity, growth, betterment, human betterment. What is the goal in the second one? Uh, this is Nishreyasha. nishreyasha Shankaracharya uses the word Nishreyasha, which means moksha. Freedom from this entire cycle of birth and death. So religion is covers both. To put it simply, religion has these two aspects. There's a conventional part of religion where, and I like to put it this way, we use God for your own welfare. God is a convenience for my life. Um, you know, my life is better if I add a little bit of God to it. And the second kind of religion, the higher religion, the spirituality, is um, it, my life for God. The goal of my life becomes God. Goal of my life in the first one is betterment, welfare, and God helps. The goal of my life in the second in the second one is um, God, God itself, Himself, Herself, or itself. Enlightenment is the goal. So here in the Gita, already it is the second goal. Very clearly. That's why I never tire, I'm never tired of repeating this again and again. Whatever one may use the Gita for, for management, for physical health, for um, you know, positive psychology, for therapy, all those things are fine. But the Gita is a moksha shastra. is a is a scripture teaching you the second goal of religion, the higher goal of religion, spiritual freedom. That's why he says both of these are paths of spiritual freedom. Nishraya shakara ubhav. Ubho means both. Uh, the uh, householder spiritual seeker and the monastic. Spirit. The monastic is by definition a spiritual seeker. Why would you adopt a monastic life unless you are a spiritual seeker? And the householder is by choice a spiritual seeker. But Arjuna's question was not this. Arjuna's question was tell me one which is better for me. And then he says Tayos tu karma sanyasad, among the two Better than becoming a monk is to be a spiritual seeker in householder life. He says, karma yoga vishishyate. Karma yoga is better than you know, performing your actions in life, in worldly life, in a spirit of karma yoga is better than giving up the actions. In Sanskrit it is sarupa tyaga, giving the actions up altogether. Not engaging in um, you know, doing anything in the community or in the family just withdrawing to an ashram a cave or a hut in the himalayas that's an alternative and that's possible and you can become enlightened by that that's all very clear let's be clear about that and yet uh, krishna says that the path of the householder spiritual seeker is better is better there are advantages then number 3 what sort of advantage why is this better? Remember, Krishna has an ulterior motive here. Arjuna is all ready to run away and become a monk. Krishna wants him to fight this battle. So Krishna says, no, no, this one, you can fight the battle, be a prince and a warrior and become enlightened too. Wouldn't that be great? Third verse. Yona <laughs> na Nirdvandvohi mahabaho sukham bandhat So, the person who has neither raga or dvesha, likes or dislikes, should be known as a perpetual renouncer of action. The perpetual sannyasi is already naturally a monk. For, O oh mighty armed one, one who is free from the dual throng is easily freed from bondage. So, there is an advantage to householder life. The advantage is, you know, Sri Ramakrishna, the Holy Mother and others, they would say that, uh, why would you wander around uh, begging for a morsel of food? I think I mentioned uh, how Swami Turiananda in Vrindavan in Austria, you know, wandering, as a wandering monk, you're supposed to beg for food uh, up to three houses, five houses or seven houses. One day he begged for food from 30 houses and it was a very poor area. Nobody had anything to give except a piece of dry bread, chapati. And so he was exhausted. And he was dismayed and frustrated. He was thinking, people are working, poor people are working to earn their livelihood. I am a parasite. I am not doing anything, not producing anything. And he went to sleep under a tree. And then he had that experience of, of expanding to include the whole universe. And he felt, I am the Atman, this whole thing itself. I'm identified with everything, and he had this great feeling of joy. Um, but another time, he got one piece of dry chapati after begging a lot, and uh, he he went to a well, and he dipped the that bread in water of the well, and he stuffed that soggy chapati into his mouth, telling his body, "Eat, eat! For for you, I'm put I'm put to so much trouble, just to feed you." So it's like he's feeding the body. So there are advantages. Notice when people would come to Sri Ramakrishna, when householders would come to Sri Ramakrishna and say that, uh, should we give up then? And Sri Ramakrishna would always say, why should you give up? You should stay in in, uh, householder life and call on God. And then he would say there are so many advantages to a householder life. But for a select few, those uh, young boys who became the first generation of monks, led by Narendranath, who became Vivekananda. When they came, in no uncertain terms, he encouraged them to become monks. Uh, I mean, when their parents were outraged and they would come and tell Sri Ramakrishna, you tell them they should get married and get jobs. And he would say, I tell them, they, but they don't listen. And when the parents would go away, he would praise those boys and say, don't listen to them. You, that you, He would encourage them to become monks. Only to a small group. Um, so, now the problem is, immediately the big objection in our minds would be in householder life, there are so many obligations and there are so many preoccupations and distractions. So our time and energy is taken up, you have to earn a livelihood, you have to take care of yourself and other people, you have to take up responsibilities, not only for your family, but for for example, if you have a job, if you have some responsible position in, in uh, society, Arjun is a general in an army, just imagine. So, so many responsibilities. In comparison, the monk has nothing. Is just, just that person. Uh, and um, at the most, an ashram, which is also you can do in a detached way because it's uh, there's no personal axe to grind there. So, isn't it much easier to be a monk? So, first of all, later he will say why it is not easier to be a monk. But now he says that in householder life it is true that there is a lot of um, demands upon you and what it manifests at as is he says is raga dvesha is the problem he says here yona um, dveshti the one who does not um, is not repulsed or has no strong dislikes no strong desires this so the real problem in householder life is not that there are so many responsibilities I have seen monks managing huge institutions. Lots and lots of responsibilities. I've seen many monks without any responsibility at all. That's also there. But some monks I've seen at least. So, for example, I saw Lokeshwaranandji Institute of Culture uh, in Gold Park in Calcutta. Huge institution. Hundreds of people working there. Lots of problems. At that time, there was a Marxist government in power in uh, West Bengal and trade unions and they were generally anti-religion. And so, organizations run by religious organizations, you know, like monks, they are always targeted. So, all sorts of problems they faced. But they managed, they, they shouldered all those huge responsibilities so lightly, you know, with peace and a smile and, and with kindness and grace. So, the problem is not responsibility. The problem is not relationships. The problem is not possessions. The problem is our relate, our internal, the way we relate to these things. Normally, what happens is why it is householder life is such a struggle. It is not so much the external problem as our reaction to those problems. It is our raga-dvesha, our likes and dislikes. Likes and dislikes is a mild word. Raga literally means uh, intense attachment, intense desire. Dvesha means dislike. Um, repulsion, and we are guided by that. And there are many such sources which continually awaken this kind of likes and dislikes, desires in our mind. We have endless, unexplained expectations. Yes, that's another good way of putting it. We have huge expectations of the world, of um, people, of husband, wife, even more expectation of children. Uh, even more expect- and expectations of colleagues, of society, of um, politics and political parties, so many expectations and unexamined. We feel we, uh, we deserve these things. We feel we are entitled and then we are shocked when these desires are not fulfilled. I was just reading, um, there was a very smart psychologist here in New York. Many years ago. Nobody reads him nowadays, I think. Dr. Albert Ellis. Uh, so Albert Ellis. Uh, he, I looked him up once. It says that at one time he was rated higher than Carl Jung. I mean, he was like the uh, most highly rated psychologist after Freud for some time. And he was right here in New York. Anyway, I was reading in one of his books. He says, one of the first things I tell patients when they come to me, who come to me for counseling, So, one of the first things I tell them is, the road to hell is paved with unrealistic expectations. The road to hell is paved with unrealistic expectations. Uh, He uh, gives an example of a patient, a name he has not given, maybe a lady or whatever it is. This patient says uh, that, I had been troubled by this person who was a drunkard. And one day I came to the very simple realization that you cannot have these expectations of a drunkard. See, what was happening is, this person said, I, I deserve to be treated better. Any normal person expects uh, this basic um, you know, behavior, this basic decent behavior from another person. And this person, he realized, no, I cannot expect that. Because that person is a drunkard, is an uh, alcoholic, You cannot expect normal reactions, behavior, response, even the ordinary things which you expect, decent behavior from others, you cannot expect it at all. And he says, it's a very simple thing. But this uh, patient said, it was a great revelation to me. This person with whom I had struggled for so many years, against whom I have got so much resentment and rage built up, most of it is due to my unrealistic expectation of something that person cannot give. So this is, I realized what the doctor had said, road to hell is paved with unrealistic expectations. So Krishna is saying, most of the problems, he says, he says, why one cannot be spiritual in um, householder life is because of our unrealistic expectations. Really, the problem is not with householder life. The problem is not with, um, uh, with family. The problem is not with um, relationships, with possessions, with duties. With with, uh, responsibilities, all of those things can be managed if we manage our expectations. To manage your expectations, the two things, raga and dvesha, likes and dislikes. If the whole thing is now converted into karma yoga, I do not want anything from these people, I do not want anything from these relationships. No expectations. This is a battlefield for me. It is an ashram for me. In fact, is Grihastha ashram in, uh, in uh, the household life itself is called an ashram. Every stage of life is called an ashram. An ashram is a place for spiritual development. So Grihastha ashram is an ashram for spiritual development. And here, all these things which I have to do because of my relationship, because of my position, because of my responsibilities, I shall do as Karma Yoga as the worship of God, it is a special kind of spiritual sadhana which I am performing. Does not matter how others react, whether they satisfy my expectations or not. It does not matter. I have to see whether I am doing sadhana, whether I am doing karma yoga. If you do that, what a high praise Krishna has for that attitude. He says, he, this person is ever a monk. A monk is somebody who gives up these responsibilities, maintains serenity and practices, spiritual um, uh, practices in, in solitude, You know, in distance from samsara. Whereas this person, in the midst of samsara, in the midst of family, he says, is Nitya sannyasi. Sanyasi means, is ever a monk, is already a monk. This person who lives like this, managing expectations within uh, samsara, Yona dveshti na who has these no unreasonable hatreds or unreasonable expectations. We may say, yeah, but I have reasonable expectations. No, you don't. <laughs> All our expectations from samsara are unreasonable. Who are you to demand anything from anybody? We demand that because we go into samsara with the idea, this is for my enjoyment, this is for my satisfaction. It is not. From the very beginning, we have made a huge mistake. It is a place for spiritual practice. Just like an ashram is a place for spiritual practice. If you go into it with that attitude, what can I give here? How can I serve here? My Lord has come in the form of husband, wife, children. My Lord has come in the form of my co-workers, my neighbors. How do I best serve? How do I best do my duties as as puja, as spiritual practice? Then you will see this problem will resolve itself very easily that is the only difference i have seen monks who manage uh, huge institutions hospital instead of culture i mentioned yeah. um, swami Lokeshwaranji. i heard from a monk that once there was a uh, communist agitation and uh, they got word that a huge crowd was going to come and surround the uh, institute and they're going to throw rocks and so one of the monks said let me call the police And Swami Lokeshwaranji told him, no, no need to call the police. And the expected thing happened. The next day, this monk told me himself, next day, as expected, there was a big crowd outside shouting slogans and throwing rocks. And we heard one big rock smash through the window of uh, the Swami's office, the secretary's office. So we ran down there to see what happened. And we saw Swami Lokeshwaranji was writing a letter at his desk, and the big window had been smashed. A rock had actually come into the office and was lying on the carpet with smashed glass. Lokeshwariji just had looked up and he went back to his writing. Now, how is that possible? Uh, how is that possible? That story is there about this attachment and detachment. You know, the uh, classic story about Janaka Raja and uh, Shukadeva. So Sukadeva, the, the paradigm of a great monk who has completely renounced everything, who has only, um, you know, has his loincloth and nothing else in the world. He comes to the emperor Janaka for a discussion about Vedanta. So they are having a discussion on, about Vedanta. Janaka is an em- emperor, but he's also very interested in Vedanta. And so they have a discussion about Atman and Brahman and so on, till the news comes that the, the city of Mithila is on fire and the whole, the capital city is on fire. And uh, the monk, Shukadeva, is out of there like an arrow. He runs out like an arrow. Here, Somewhere he goes. Then he comes back to watch Janaka. He's still sitting there on the chair, uh, smiling. What happened, O Swami? Where did you go? And panting, Shukadeva says, oh, it's all right. I have one change of you know, the loincloth, that's my only dress. The only dress he has got in the world and nothing else in the position in the world. One loincloth and one change. So which I had washed in the river and I'd hung it out to dry on that uh, tree, branch of a tree. And I thought if the fire spreads to that tree and it burns up the loincloth, I went to check and I saw it's all right, it's not burnt. And Janaka smiles and he says, kinchana. If the entire city were to burn down, nothing of mine would be burnt. Um, so now it's not that it's not like Nero fiddles while Rome burns not like that, he's doing whatever needs to be done whatever needs to be done in the moment he's doing that and yet absolutely serene it does not mean that by becoming a monk like literally physically giving up all things you'll be free of attachment you'll be actually able to manage uh, likes and dislikes, may not be may not be Um, I have seen monks who after becoming, they have no responsibilities in the world. Completely free of all, all responsibilities. Uh, no no possessions. But see, where the mind becomes attached, still very much involved in uh, So, for example, just to give an example, when I was in the Himalayas, somebody told me of a particular monk who was very well known for his renunciation. He would not touch money. So, n- no money. What did he do? All the, of course, lots of devotees came to him, especially because he would not touch money. Uh, he would, uh, They would bow down to him and offer him money. And he had this long pair of pincers with which he would grasp the coins and put it in a box. If you have to go to all that extent, why not touch the money itself? If you are going to accumulate money for the ashram or whatever, fine. So, yeah. The Raga On the other hand, I had no of a particular swami in one of our ashrams so one gentleman who is to be a volunteer for that ashram he would say that the swami um, the old swami who has passed away you now who was the head of that it is a small ashram in calcutta whatever money the devotees would give he would throw into one of the drawers in his uh, table so whenever I would go and ask we need money for shopping or we need to buy money to buy something for the temple or shrine or something that like, whatever he would Trust his hand into that dryer and pull out money, whatever was there. He never knew what was there. He never counted. He never bothered. So he was there. Money is right there. But there's no attachment, no interest in it at all. Now, which is better? Who is managing uh, expectations, attachments to money better? Of course, I, I'm not recommending that as People in the world of householders, you follow such financial methods of management and you'll be in trouble. <laughs> you can do perfectly good. I've seen monks who perfectly manage the accounts and finances, many such monks were really good at it. Not one paisa, one, one cent of that belongs to them, but everything's done perfectly. Um, the accounts and the money, the investments of an ashram are maintained because it's for them, it's a puja. It's. it's a, I, I knew a monk, I won't tell his name, he was in charge of investing money for our main monastery in Belur. He grew to be so good at his job that financial company with his investment wizards would come to ask, not for spiritual advice, for investment advice from him. But he didn't make one one cent out of it, one rupee out of it. It was just for the ashram. Another monk um, who was an expert in dairy farming, so Goshala in the ashram, he told me something and he, he was so well known that uh, veterinary doctors would come to him, that the, the big institutes which ran huge dairies would ask him to visit and give, give them advice and other ashrams would call him. Not that all monks were in charge of uh, dairies are, are, are experts. This monk was, is also. I asked him and he told me, you know what happened? I was a novice, not even a sannyasi." And there was an old Swami in charge of the dairy, which was very run down and in poor condition. And the Swami died. And the head head of the monastery told me, you go and take charge of the dairy. I said, I I have no idea. I've never even milked a cow. I'm scared of cows. So it doesn't matter. It's God's work. You Go and do whatever you can. So he said, I set about to it. I asked people who knew, and I worked with my own hands cleaning the dairy. Uh, I asked veterinary, veterinary doctors, consulted them. I stayed up late in the night. You know, after reading Vedanta, I would read veterinary books. I would. I went to uh, take courses on dairy management till he became an expert. This is this is a pun that works only in um, uh, Bengali, so I'll try my best to translate it. He's a very humorous Swami. So he said, You know, the grace of God is upon me. So, so there's a pun on the word Guru means cow, and Guru means, of course, spiritual master. And as a spiritual novice, you're supposed to serve the spiritual master. That's one of the duties, the karma yoga a monastic novice is supposed to do. So he said, instead of serving the guru, I serve the guru. That means I serve the cow. Uh, But the effect is the same. Um, All right. One more point and then I'll move ahead. So the idea is, if you manage expectations, if you manage Raga Dvesha, if you, and how do you do that? By converting everything that we do in, in our daily lives, in samsara, in grihastha Ashrama, into karma Yoga. You are as good as a monk uh, who is uh, like a real sincere uh, spiritual seeker, a monk who has given up all these attachments. You, you, in fact, you will not have no disadvantage. What seems to be a disadvantage in grihastha life is basically because of the way we deal with the problems in grihastha life, in, in household life. So that was his point. Just one point a senior monk told me, which matches what what Sri Krishna is saying here. A senior monk told me, you know, it is the high class of spiritual seekers, the evolved class of advanced spiritual seekers, who can deal with their problems in meditation, who can sit in meditation and as things come up from the subconscious mind, they can deal with them. It can be done. One can overcome one's uh, past conditioning by meditation. But it requires a very highly trained mind and a very pure mind which can do that. Then he said, for the rest of us, for ordinary people like us, we need external struggle. We need external struggle. We have to deal with difficult people. We have to work hard. We have to put up with physical illness. All of these forms of external struggle which are richly available in householder life. And ashram life also will provide it to you when you get into an ashram. So uh, that is actually good for spiritual development. It's good for spiritual development. It's not good at the beginning to be left completely alone in a cave in the, in the Himalayas. Very soon you get tired of it. How long will you feel poetic about it's just wind blasted icy rock and, and waterfalls and, and just solitude turning into... Like a vacuum of loneliness. If the mind is not ready, it will be driven mad by that kind of life. Nirdvandohi mahabaho sukham Sukham bandhat means easily. In, if you lead this kind of a life in householder life, you are set free from bondage easily. You see, one would expect the opposite. It is easier if you are a monk. It seems to be so monks have it easy you don't have any you don't have to earn your living we are providing for you you don't have to maintain a house uh, either you're in a cave or a hut or an ashram which is maintained by uh, devotees everything is maintained in society by householders not by monks or by students in you know, brahmacharya ashram Sannyasa ashram vanaprastha ashram all three are built on the foundation of grihastha ashram so the householder is the one who is the foundation of society. So it seems everything is easy for the monk. But no, spiritual life is actually easier. Um, Sri Ramakrishna says the one who thinks of God in the midst of the struggles of society is a hero. Before I go on, let me just take a look at the activity in the chat and questions. Prabir Babu says, I understand monasticism in India really started with Buddha. Is this correct? No. Even the Buddha's own life, what turned him towards spiritual life? What is the fourth thing that he saw? A monk. He saw an old person, sick person, dead person, and then the fourth thing he saw was a monk. And there were so many monks. Buddha himself met them. There were lots of them at that time. And for a long time. Go way b- before Buddha. Briyadaranya Upanishad." The hero of Vedanta, who is the first hero of Vedanta, the Yagya who was married, he had two wives, and what does what happens at the end of the? He was already enlightened. And what happens at the end of the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad? He becomes a monk. He leaves and walks away and he becomes a monk. Becoming a monk, it, it you come across it again and again in the Upanishads, in the Vedas. So long before Buddhism, long before Jainism, in the Vedic society also monasticism was there. But yes, in a big way. It came into being with Buddhist monasticism. The Jainas are not given enough credit. Uh, Jaina monasticism also is highly developed, uh, along with the Buddhist monasticism. Um, Vishwanathan says, could you please help us understand Arjun's motivation behind Sannyasa? He did not say that directly, but see, the whole idea was he did not want to fight that war. And now Krishna told him about enlightenment. He will become God, realize God. That's the goal of life. Then the solution is inevitable. It's, it's, uh, it just follows straight away. I don't want to do this nasty stuff. And I want to become enlightened. That really sounds good. And the way to become enlightened, becoming enlightened is to give up all this, go to a mountain or a forest and meditate. And that's it. So he wanted to follow. That's something that Krishna wanted him, wanted him not to do, to stop that. In chapter 4, Sri Krishna taught Arjuna the way to see Brahman in all actions in everyday life. Given that, why is Arjuna considering becoming a monk rather than seeing the action in front of him as Yajna? Yes, that is the crucial teaching. Um, Yajnaathat karmana. To do all action as Yajna. That purifies and leads to enlightenment. Arjuna has heard only partially. Not fully absorbed. It's actually a, a... See, the clear teaching is here in householder life, you are pursuing dharma artha kama. You want moksha, be a monk. So that kind of division was very clear. And uh, so to break that mold, to be in the householder life and become enlightened, um, that idea Sri Krishna is pushing. And it's not a new idea, actually. In the Vedas, in the Upanishads, you see many of the rishis who have taught the Upanishads, many of them were householders. Father is teaching the son. Husband is teaching the wife. There are women in the court of, uh, of the kings who are questioning. Um, philo- Vedantic philosopher Yagya Valkyas' greatest opponent and questioner in the court was um, Gargi. So all of this was there, and uh, most of them were householders. But yes, Arjuna has not fully absorbed the implications. And it's our benefit also that the whole thing has been explained in detail over the next several chapters. It will go on. This theme will be repeated again and again. By the way, um, I'm selling it very hard, what are Krishna's vision of becoming an enlightened uh, householder like, like himself or like Janaka. But it's also true that it's very difficult. it's difficult Bill says ethical values are transcendent even without God per se so says Swamiji yes that is true ethical values themselves can lead to enlightenment if you pursue goodness far enough it becomes God good becomes God abhijit says after a day of an office it becomes evident end of the day that most of the issues and pressures that we felt during the day were a result of friction caused by ego may be similar to unrealistic expectations or likes and dislikes correct correct this is what is being pointed out the real friction which causes tiredness frustration unhappiness complication is is within us it's not so much the office or the family or the you know problems will be there anyway you run away from uh, Difficult people in the family, you will find difficult people in the ashram. In the householder life, it's uh, the struggle is little more, of course. I know the story about a monk who was grumbling to a devotee many years ago. I don't like this ashram. So in our system, we have many ashrams. And if we have problems somewhere, we can. We're supposed to adjust and stay there, but we can ask our main monastery for a transfer. So this Swami was saying to this gentleman or devotee, that I'll go away. I'll take a transfer and go away. Then that old gentleman was sitting here. he smiled and said, Swami, you can do that. But spare a thought for us. We married people in jobs and in you know householder life. We will stay with the same people till the end of our lives. We can't keep changing. You have the option. Today you don't like it, you walk away, you'll get another set of people, another place, an entirely new setup. Not possible for us. I cannot go away from this house and this place into another house, another place like a drop of a hat like you can. So that was a big lesson for that monk. That it, uh, it is possible and it's much better to adjust where you are. Ultimately, you cannot run away from your problems. These problems have been are, are the product of our prarabdha karma. So if I try to run away from them, they will come in another form in the other place. I, become, I have so many troubles because of uh, you know, job pressures and so many problems in this world. I give it up. I become a monk. I have no connection with earning money. I have no connection with people. I have no responsibilities. I will sit and read Gita only. Suddenly, I will find body is ill. Sickness comes in the body. The same karma which is giving me trouble... In household life, in some way, is now giving me trouble. What is the last thing that I've got? I can't give up the body. The body is there. it will give me trouble. In the ashram. There'll be difficult people in the ashram. So, these problems will keep following us. Ramya says, is that what Swamiji means when he says, be free from hope for nothing from anyone? Yes. Work also. Seek not, avoid not. So i to gave a nice formula. Avoiding is what Arjuna wanted to do. And a restless person keeps on seeking newer and newer projects. And what to do next? Fill up the day. From morning till evening, keep busy. Especially in, in these countries, I see people are very uh, up and doing. So if, you're, if there is a spot in your calendar which is free, it makes you uneasy. Why is it free? Let me fill it up with some activity. No, that is restlessness. Neither seek nor avoid. Brahmacharya Ashram precedes Grihastha Ashram. Was the Brahmacharya training for the householders? Prabir Babu asked, yes, it was training for householders and monks. So at the end of Brahmacharya Ashram, you actually have an option. Do you want to go into Grihastha Ashram and householder life? Or do you want to become a monk? Why would you want to become a monk? The whole idea was taught that ultimately the whole purpose is God-realization, is enlightenment. Do you want to take the scenic route? then go and become a, marry and get a job and go out into the world, do all these things? Or do you want to take uh, the less scenic route, the direct uh, path and become a monk straight away? Do you have that kind of, that, the problem with the monastic life will be talked about next. Why it is, it requires extra preparation. It's not all that, it's not as easily available option as one might think. Okay, I've got two options. I can be a household, I can be a monk. Not so. Abhijit asks, is a consequence of our actions and expectation of enjoyment fruit of the action? Is that where our expectations come from? Yes. Our expectations come from sense of entitlement or expectations come from the desire for enjoyment. Gita Dev asks, struggles of life teaches Titiksha. Griyas is a great way to develop in nature. Titiksha is means forbearance, patience. Absolutely. Absolutely. grihasthashram householder life in the family and in your community, in the career, it develops the quality of patience, forbearance, which is very, very important. Just remember that beautiful insight from Dr. Albert Ellis, that wise old psychologist. Unrealistic expectations are... The, the road to hell is paved with unrealistic expectations. Perfect karma yogi will be very close to being a jnana if not already correct. Purification of mind leads to jnana almost directly. As Advaitins, we will insist on Shravana, Manana, and Nididhyasana. But the fact is, practically speaking, realization is very fast. I have seen myself, um. monks who are not particularly intellectual, they have have not been reading so much of Panchadashi or um, Drik Vivek or whatever it is, uh, advanced or any other advanced text of Advaita Vedanta, not engaging in uh, intellectual debate. But they have a kind of deep devotion to Sri Ramakrishna. They have worked hard all their life in the ashram, whatever work has been given to them. They have led simple, austere and hard lives. Now at this time, when I when I talk to them about Vedanta, when I say, when I, sometimes occasion for discussion comes up, they get these Vedantic insights just like that. It's immediately clear to them, and they their conviction comes also very clearly. Understanding and conviction comes very clearly. In contrast, I have seen professors and scholars, highly trained, who have read much more than me, not convinced, not have have not understood also. They. Make mistake after mistake. So why? This is the difference in the purification. Purification of mind. Absorption of Vedanta. The, uh, the insight must flash. It's not enough to read about it. It must become your own truth. Like that person uh, in, uh, who was being uh, counseled by Dr. Albert Ellis and who said, I just now realized... All these expectations I had of this drunken person was unrealistic expectations. You could have told him that, him or her, but you have to, that person has to realize for oneself what I thought was most justified is most unjustified. He should not have expected these things. Similarly, these Vedantic insights it must become a living truth and purification of mind is absolutely necessary for that. Uh, Sri Dhamma says, how does struggle in householder life exactly help us progress in our... This is by purification of mind. But remember, remember, it must be for the purpose of God-realization. Somebody um, may say, so Arjuna, if he goes on and fights a battle, he has been fighting battles all along. Isn't that Karma Yoga? No, it is not. Till this point, he was fighting battles for Kama for doing his duty as the Kshatriya and for becoming prosperous in the world for getting a kingdom whatever whatever a warrior prince used to do in those days that was the purpose the purpose is very important and the attitude is very important then only karma becomes karma yoga otherwise not I do not want anything from it I am doing it as a worship of God or I am doing it for the welfare of others I have no personal gain from it at least this attitude must be there All right. I'm not taking the other questions. I'll just read one more verse and stop. Actually, this verse requires some explanation. Let me just read it. Verse number four. So a new, new term is introduced here. Sanghya yoga prithag bala. Pandita, ekam samyag phalam Sankhya and Yoga. Uh, it's only the ignorant who say that these are different. Uh, even if you follow one, you will get the result of both. So what does it mean? What is Sankhya here and what is yoga? Why suddenly it is he talking about Sankhya? So here again matter of interpretation comes and I am following Shankaracharya very strictly. To put it simply, what, what does Shankaracharya make of this verse? He says, Krishna introduces this term, Sankhya. What does Sankhya mean here? It means a person who has formally become a monk and following the path of Jnana Yoga. He's following the path of Jnana Yoga. He has formally become a monk, spiritual seeker, and uh, uh, is practicing Vedanta, Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Learning Vedanta, thinking about it, meditating upon it and leading the life of a, genuinely leading the life of a monk. That is what is meant by Sankhya. So here Sankhya does not mean the Sankhya philosophy only. Yoga. What does Yoga mean? Yoga here means a Grihastha, a householder who is a spiritual seeker, who is also following um, Karma Yoga and also in addition to that jnana Yoga afterwards. In order to get moksha. So being a householder and a spiritual seeker, being a monk and a spiritual seeker are the two paths mentioned here. This is Shankaracharya's and the interpretation of Shankaracharya. And the purpose of both, the goal of both is moksha. If you are a spiritual seeker in any one of these paths, your goal is moksha. So he says, those who think these two are different they will not lead to the same goal. Bala means children or uh, ignorant people. Ignorant people think these two are different. Being a householder, being a monk are different. Even if you are a spiritual seeker, no. If you are a spiritual seeker, both of them will lead to the same goal. Ekame api astita samyak. Take up any one. Astita means practice it, samyak, sincerely. Follow it sincerely. Fulfill its conditions. Then, ubhayor vindate falam you will get the result of both. Result of both means both lead to the same goal, which is enlightenment and freedom. You will get both. You will get get the result of both, which is freedom or enlightenment. Moksha, Brahma, Jnana. Na pandita, the wise do not see a difference here. So one, after the Brahmacharya studentship, the initial preparatory phase, one can directly become a monk and seek enlightenment. That's fine too. One can be in householder life, and seek enlightenment, practice karma yoga and jnana yoga. That's fine too. One can be in householder life and be a spiritual seeker at, at one point later in life, become a sannyasi, like in traditional, you know, after grihastha, then vanaprastha, then sannyasa. One can become a monk also. Some people do. That's fine too. All of them will lead to spiritual realization. The big point he's making here, and it will run counter to. Teachings of some of the sects which were prevalent at that time. And some of the early Buddhist sects were very clear. Only if you are a monk, uh, Bhikkhu or a Bhikkuni, monk or nun, then only you can become uh, enlightened. Um, other sects claim that only if you are a, a monk in a male body and then only you become enlightened in this life. Otherwise, you can be a pious religious householder. And then with good karma, next life you'll become a monk and then you become enlightened. But Krishna here is saying, that's not the point. It's in this context that this is, seems, seems to be such a uh, unique, very powerful teaching. Alright. I think we'll stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Krishna I'll be like that monk with pincers who grabs the money. So <laughs> I give a, one of my regular reminders of um, do keep uh, donating. It's it's easy if you use the PayPal. If you go to the website and there's a, a button where you can donate whatever you can, what you feel like. So that keeps help, helping us in this time of the pandemic. So That's my digital pincer with which I can grab the money.